Okay, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. I give a shit about you. It, you're, I know you're out there. Are you wearing your mask? Are you social distancing? So don't emotionally distant. This is not any time. Use, use that chance to like get closer to people where you don't have to run into them. Make a point. Call people. Tell them you miss them. You miss seeing them in person. Um, also, you know what I'm personally very happy about? I don't really like kissing, okay? Because I hate, it always remembers, like, reminds me of my aunts kissing me and shit. So I'm actually personally relieved that we don't have to do that social kissing thing myself. But anyway, thanks so much for listening uh, to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit and tuning into Radio Free Brooklyn. Do you know how important Radio Free Brooklyn is to so many people right now? It's really, really important. We have like close to a hundred shows and we really serve so many groups. We have music, we have talk, we have comedy, we have politics and we have no money, none. We have no money. We are uh, 401c3. So please go to Radio Free Brooklyn uh, slash donate and, and um, you know, we really could just use the support. I don't care. It could be a dollar or less. I just really would love to hear from you. So anyway, today uh, I'm recording this on Wednesday because um, it's July 3rd, I think. June 3rd? June 3rd. June 3rd. Yes. 3rd because <laughs> July 3rd. Because I just got, here's the thing. I visiting, never mind, I'm not going to get into it, but I was on a plane last night and my brain is a little not, it's always confused, but it might be a little more confused. But anyway, so the point I'm making is that today is June 3rd and today is the day that, um, you know, they announced some very important there are some very important announcements today in our society and they involve uh the uh killer killers of george floyd they've been you know they had announcements today where they're all charged with crimes the three men that watched as well as the one who did that unspeakable act and on top of that um I am here to interview one of our really fabulous hosts, really art. You guys are so lucky. This guy's so articulate. Uh, um, so uh, Mike, Mike Heiliger. I did I say your name right? You did. Well, you, you said Mike, you said my real name instead of Mike Joseph, but that's fine because. Oh, right. Cause <laughs> right. Right. Mike Joseph. Cause I was, nervous about it anyway his name is mike joseph he does the jcc show which is wednesdays it's gonna which is um eight to ten every wednesday it's a great show uh mike is a really great personality i mean he's he's just like one of those people that you really want to hang out with he's just really open and charismatic and he does a great show and i really I can heartily recommend it. It's kind of like he plays eclectic old school music, but old school, mostly black music, 
but it's also kind of like just hanging out with a friend and you know he's got his personality really moves the show along and really holds it together so he's a great personality that plays great music so i'm giving mike i'm giving you mike justice i'm giving you a hearty recommendation thank you dr lisa i appreciate that so i just want to explain to my my listeners why mike why what mike and i were planning on talking about today mike mike is a really interesting guy he is a queer black man he um is very interested in in mental health he is very he's an advocate he has done a lot of work he is involved with a lot of organizations about mental health and he also just started a podcast which i was listening to about masculine mask toxic masculinity which i find very interesting coming from a queer black man because usually it's aren't 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 hetero guys supposed to be worried about toxic masculinity it's not just hetero guys there are a lot of queer guys that uh are toxically masculine uh there are a lot of black guys that are toxically masculine um you know there are some women that are toxically masculine so <laughs> yeah yeah but I isn't mean, it, the stereotype like my stereotype is with hetero men do you think that's a stereotype it's it's a it's not an unfounded stereotype. I mean, I think, you know, in that particular case, the stereotype exists for a reason, because I think most of the people that do practice toxic masculinity are hetero men, um, but it affects everybody. And, you know, there are some yeah. quote, unquote, unenlightened straight guys, and, you know, there are some quote unquote, unenlightened queer guys. Um, so. Well, I also think that, um, I mean, I'm going to say even my husband, who is a pretty, who is somebody I have an enormous amount of respect for, has a little bit of toxic masculinity himself because it's institutionalized yeah. the way I have racism that's institutionalized. Right. So uh, no, one's, no, one's, no one's clean here. Yeah, no one's exempt. I mean, there are certainly situations I've been in that have been you know, in which I've been kind of toxically masculine. And it's, it's like, it's not something you win. It's something that you, you know, have to progressively get better at. Right, right. So the point I'm making, folks, is what I really want to talk about with Mike is I want to find out, like, wh what his background is like, why uh, he said he had some suicidal ideation at one point. He found therapy later in life, his early 30s. He's in his mid-40s now. Um, so I'm really curious about how Mike went crazy and is uh, a, a, a queer gay man who is also interested in toxic masculinity. That, I find that fairly fascinating. That's what I really wanted to dive into with Mike. But Mike and I both agree that we really need to talk about this moment in time and what's going on in our country. Uh, to come and talk to you, Mike, I left, you know, Obama, do you know, Obama was speaking at three o'clock yep, today. Yep. Yes, he was. So I'll have to watch that on replay. Yeah, there'll be, yeah, it will be available. <laughs> Thank God. But, um, so I just want to start off by saying, cause I, I want to hear from you. I want to learn. I want to hear about your feelings, but I, you know, I'm talking about my, I just realized 
that I am anxious, Mike, about talking to you and asking you about what's happening in our society and right now and about racism and stuff because I feel like I'm a little worried about offending you. And I, I'm, not take, I'm not saying that I will, or, but I feel like I don't, I'm not sure, I'm confident where the boundaries are or what, I don't know myself about racism. Right. I know what I feel and I know, I know what I feel and I know what I care about. Also my father, um, I grew up as a child, my father was uh, architect for public housing. You know, in the 60s, his boss was a black man. My mother had a black, had a black friend, which was very unusual in those days. Sure. Um, so I have some, you know, this isn't like a brand new idea to me, but I am, I am aware that I could be offensive. So let's talk about it. And I want you to tell me if yeah, I Yeah, I will. I'll call it out for sure. Okay. Okay. So I want to hear what, like, what do you really feel? What do you, what do you feel? How do you feel about what's going on? And what do you think that um, people who are not people of color are missing? Because we're missing something. Um, that's a, a question that can go a bunch of different ways. I think what we're seeing now is not something that, um, that we should be unaccustomed to seeing. I mean, it feels like every couple of years, this, uh, the issue with policing and particularly the policing of black people by uh, officers that are usually not black comes up in the news cycle and there's an uproar and then things kind of quiet down and then there's an uproar and then things kind of quiet down. But this is something that happens consistently to black people. And I want to make the specific delineation between black people and people of color here because okay. You know, people of color will also include um, indigenous people and Latinx people and Asian people. Um, but for black people in general, yeah, um, there's there's this uh, relationship with law enforcement that stretches back decades, centuries, whatever, um, where law enforcement sees us as uh, less than human. Mm. And there are these confrontations and, you know, in general, cops feel like they're above the law. They have the savior complex. So they think nothing of snuffing out a black life because they know that there's not going to be any, um, any blowback from it. They're not going to get charged or they're not, even if they do get charged and they're tried, they're going to be acquitted or, or somehow otherwise uh, let, let off. Um, there has, to, to date, as, I, as we sit here having this conversation, there has never been a police officer that I'm aware of that has been convicted and imprisoned for, uh, for killing a black man or a black person, bland woman, whatever. Um, so do you think that's something that, and you know, I'm glad you're making that distinction because when you talk about black people, I think what we're talking about is the legacy of slavery. Absolutely. And that's really, that's really, really different. Even like with Obama, he, he doesn't come from that legacy. Do you right. guys think about that? I mean, I, I do. I mean, I'm also, you know, I'm a first generation American in my family. Oh, really? Where's yeah. your family from? 
Um, Aruba and the Dominican Republic. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, so all across the Caribbean. Yeah, right. So I, you know, my relationship to slavery in America right. is not the same as it would be from someone who is the direct right. descendant of slaves. Right, um, right, right, right. But I see what the, you're saying. But the average person wouldn't know that. The average person sees a black person and we're all kind of the same thing. For sure. Right. Um, <laughs> And to a police officer, we're all the same. It doesn't matter where we're from or who we're descended from. You know, we're, you know, a black person is a black person. Right. And, you know, I have been fortunate to an extent in my life to have not experienced many instances of harassment by law enforcement. One big reason for that is the fact that I don't drive. Uh... Um, but... You know, I've certainly had experiences and I know tons of people. I mean, pretty much all of my friends unilaterally, all of my black friends have had experiences where they've been, you know, pulled over or, you know, uh, what was the stupid policy that the stop and have dealt with stop and frisk or, you know, whatever it is. Like everybody that's black has mm-hmm. had that experience. And mm-hmm. I've said before, kind of the one experience that all, like, if you're going to say there's one thing in common throughout the black community is that we've all experienced discrimination at some point in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would also say most, if not all of us over a certain age have experienced some kind of police harassment at some point in our lives as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is it something like um, when I was a young woman say like getting catcalled as a woman is like something we just take for granted right. and guys don't understand that really. And you know, you just don't, but is that like something like you guys, you black people take that for granted yeah. and you know that we don't, and you also know that we don't even get that we don't. Right. I, I, That's true. Right. And it adds to the frustration. Right. Um, because right. it's like, how can people advocate? I mean, and granted there are a lot of, uh, non-black people who don't want to advocate for us. But in order to advocate for us, you, you're not going to have that lived experience. You're going to need to empathize. Right, right, right. But we're also going to, ha- we've all, we, we white people or not, or the people who aren't in the category we're talking about being harassed in the non-police harassed category, kind of just breeze through life. And we don't think about that, right? Do we? Right. I mean, that's it, what you guys, that's what with, that's what we're, is that, do you think that's at the crux of kind of what this is sort of about in a way? Like it feels, what feels really different about this is that it feels like white people are waking up and it feels like we've been complicit and you guys are pissed off. And now we're all like, fuck, we got to, you know, we have to be, we are one, you know, we have to rectify this. Yeah, it's, and again, it comes down to an empathy situation. I, from a personal perspective, like I have had to explain to some of my white friends what it's like to, you know, wake up in the morning and sort of know that there are people in the world that are going to devalue me just on account of the color of my skin. Like that doesn't go away. That's with me 24 seven, 365. Right. And so I know you through the radio station. I'm like, he's really smart, really educated. He's got a great radio show. He's got a really fun, he's got an awesome, cool job with a record, record company business thing. (laughs) And, 
everyone loves Mike. And like, I never think like, you know, that somebody would like go like that guy, you know, you can't trust him. Like I would never, hmm. like you're the sweetest guy there. So I would never, ever, ever imagine that happening to you. But of course it does. Yeah. I mean, the reality is that there are people that see me as a threat. You know, I'll get on the train, <laughs> which is ridiculous because I'm <laughs> five foot seven and a half and skinny and probably the most unassuming looking person. Yeah. But you know, if I'm walking behind if I'm walking next to or behind like a white woman, I will occasionally see the tightening of the arm around the the handbag or, you know, whatever right. it is. It's, it's just yeah. like, there's the constant um, judging before they get to know you based uh, solely on the color of my skin. Right. So how is this moment feeling to you? Like, what, what are you, what are you feeling? It's, I'm feeling frustration and stress and anger. Um, you know, and I try to be a, a positive because person. Why? What? What is making you angry about this? Um, just a the fact that in any of these situations, it could have been me or someone that I know or love. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that people still don't get the message, like I still have to kind of beat into people's heads, uh, figuratively speaking. Um, this is what it's like to be black. Not right. just in situations like this, but every single day. Right, because we don't fucking know and we right. don't fucking care. It's right. true. It's right. true, isn't right. it? Right. And you guys right. are like, hello, right. right? Yeah, like this is like, I, I can't become unblack. Like I have to live with this every, you know, I have to deal with this every single day. It's not right. like a coat that I can put on and take off. Right. And so, like, if you have white friends, you just see them being, like, unconcerned people. And uh, I'm going to put myself in there. I, can, I, I like to think of myself as a really open-minded, liberal-type person. But, um, you know, I don't think about it. I don't think, like, oh, when Mike, you know, takes the subway home, he could, could be harassed by a policeman. I don't think about it. Right. And, and, and that's what you guys are pissed off about, right? Right, right. And, and because if people are become empathetic, that's when things will change. Right, right. Because they're going to recognize the situations that people who are not like them are facing. Right. And why should it have to get to where we saw somebody like literally brutally tortured yeah. and murdered on TV? Yeah. And then, and yeah. then like... Yeah, and then it's final, finally, not even immediately, it's now coming to this where we're all hopeful that things will happen. I will say, I want to say this, that Obama did say, I did see the first few minutes, young people. I do think that young people are growing up in a more mixed race culture, and I do feel hopeful because of that. Do you, do you feel that? Do you see that? It's, it's the internet. It's the fact that you now have access, we all do now have access to people from different cultures, different countries, different religions, different sexual orientations, different races. It's all at our fingertips. Um, so the, the, the world is becoming less of separate worlds and more of kind of like a unified global, you mm -hmm. know, type, type mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's nothing to get on Twitter and have a conversation with somebody who lives in Africa Bulgaria. or Europe, or, right, exactly, wherever, <laughs> where, you know, we, there was no, I mean, unless you had like pen pals or something like that as a kid, there was no access to that mm -hmm. 
pre, you know, pre late nineties, pre early two thousands. I mean, I got my first computer in 2000, I think. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, and people are just, young people are sort of leading the way mm-hmm. by, you know, being more open and being more tolerant mm-hmm. and, and, you know, being louder about these issues. Mm-hmm. Do you think like, what's your feeling about like, I mean, the problem, one of, or the root of the problem really is in our country, I mean, white people, European people have like fucked with, you know, um, all sorts of races, including like, I feel terrible about the American Indians and all that shit too. That's horrible. Yeah. But irregardless, do you think that until America, do, do you think there needs to be some kind of like, reparations i'm sorry like we fucked up i can't believe we enslaved these people like what do you think that's how important is that do you think um like healing all this and i'm sorry isn't enough because i feel like we've heard i'm I'm sorry no i know and an apology isn't an apology is only as good as the intent behind the apology Mm -hmm. um so I, i don't know an apology would just feel uh empty I mean, right. It, so what yeah. do, like, do you think reparations or what do you, or do you think it's, we're just, we just have to really recognize it? I think, I, I mean, you know, I personally would feel a little weird about reparations for myself just because I'm mm-hmm. a first generation American. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, other people may feel differently and they would be within their right to do so. Mm-hmm. I think people just need to fucking like white people just need to listen and, and mm-hmm. act like mm-hmm. listen real mm-hmm. recognize you know be like okay we recognize our privilege we recognize what we have done over the last 600 700 years in mm-hmm. this country from kicking out and marginalizing the people who were originally here mm-hmm. to you know to the whole slave trade to you know the uh repercussions of the slave trade which still reverberate very strongly today oh yeah you know as you can see right by you know by this that's, ridiculous hey, absolutely that's yeah. what this is to me that's what this is about so you're like let's not go back i mean what i'm feeling or um, i think this is kind of what you're saying is like we don't need to go back let's just change now yeah and move forward yeah okay good do you see the hope that I'm talking about too, that you see, are you feeling hopeful at I all? feel, I, you know, it depends on when you ask me. I, <laughs> I, I do feel, I feel like this is a turning point. Okay, good. I, I, I feel like the conversations are getting deeper. Okay. Um, I, I don't think we're near the end of anything, but mm-hmm. I think this is a, this is a definitely a okay, turning point. Things could change. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, let me just remind people that they're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, which is the greatest station in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> of all time. Because that's the ones that I know, and I'm the, the, I'm the judge of it. And uh, so that's what I've said. I, you know, come back in another 15 years, maybe I'll have the Eastern Hemisphere, but definitely the Western Hemisphere. And um, I'm talking with Mike Joseph, uh, the JCC show on Radio Free Brooklyn. It's eight to 10 tonight. That, that would be Wednesday, the night this is, my show's Thursday, two to three, okay? <laughs> Mike shows eight to 10 uh, Wednesday, Wednesday night, and Correct. it's a great show. And you should check us all out on radiofreebrooklyn.org. And uh, 
download the app. You know, you can have this on your phone all the time. Mm -hmm. So Mike, let's now back to you. Okay. So, or, or on to you, I should say, I'm <laughs> on to you. Uh, so we're talking about your queer, you're interested in toxic masculinity. You didn't go to therapy until you were in your thirties. You mm -hmm. had, uh, um, um, suicidal ideation, which is very serious. Yeah. And, um, there was one other, other thing. There was one other thing, but let's keep going. Let's get it. So anyway, is it, is it the polyamory thing? No, you're polyamorous. Oh, I wanted this is it, but thank you. Yeah. Like I also, I'm really curious uh, to find out why you haven't had any, like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like you've had any very serious long-term relationships. That is correct. Okay. Well, I'm curious about that too. So let's, let's, let's start from the beginning and see if we, if we can, are you curious about that? I am curious about it. Okay, good. So, but first of all, I want to hear about how you were brought up. Sure. Um, I was, uh, I was born in New York city, uh, born, um, you know, uh, grew up initially in Bushwick, then moved to East Blackbush. Oh. Uh, I lived in Michigan for a couple of years um, and then moved back to East Blackbush. And I've lived all over New York City, uh, in Queens, the Bronx, back in Brooklyn now. Um, lived in Boston for eight years. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, go ahead. So when you were growing up, who, what did you, were your parents together? Did you have brothers, sisters? Tell us about um, that. So what, I was was your, what was your household house like that you grew up in? So I was raised primarily by my mother's parents, my grandma and my grandpa, um, you know, rest in peace to both of them. And, um, you know, it was sort of like, in a way, kind of like parenting by committee. Um, you know, my house growing up uh, had, you know, aunts and uncles and cousins and just a variety of people kind of floating in and out of the household. Um, so I did not have a traditional upbringing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my father, I have never met my father. He's never been in the picture. Now, um, why, why is that? I, I think he and my mom had some pretty, pretty hard static before I was born. Like there were some issues. Did they have a series? Were they married? They were engaged. Mm -hmm. And were they, so they had a real relationship. Yeah, it was a real relationship. It you weren't wasn't a like one a, night stand. No, baby. I was, I was not a one night stand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, I, you know, yeah, so he's never been in my life. And I only lived with my mom and my siblings for three years. Um, so I was primarily raised by, you know, um, my grandparents and an uncle and aunt. So how is it that you didn't live with your mom? Um, when I was little, my mom went to the Air Force. And, wow. Uh, she, yeah. She That's went to the intense. Air Force. She enlisted. And, wow. Uh, and when she left the service, she settled in Michigan um, with my stepdad. And, uh, you know, and I was in New York and I was settled at the time. And then they brought me over for a couple of years and that didn't work out. So I came back to New York. Um, How did and, that not work out? Your idea, you didn't like it, they didn't like it? Um, I definitely didn't like it. Um, you know, I have, you know, my mom and I have not really talked about this. And I have theories as to, um, 
you know, I don't think my stepfather liked the fact that he was essentially raising someone else's kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, uh-huh. I think there may have been some, uh, what am I trying to say? Some inference that maybe I was a little spoiled or overtly feminine or, you know, and they kind of tried to take that out of me, I guess, to an extent. Those three years in Michigan. Yeah. What, how old were you then? Uh, it was from the ages of eight through 11. Ooh, that was intense, wasn't it? Are those, are those definitive years for you? Um, it was like right around puberty starting. So mm-hmm. to a large extent, yes. But like, do, do you think that like, the, does that, you know, sense of where you were then that permeates a lot oh, yeah. of who you are? Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Absolutely. And so in that household, who was there? Was it you? It and was your... my mom, me, my mom, my stepdad, and uh, two of my three siblings. My youngest sibling had not been born yet. Mm-hmm. So you lived, and where did you fit in age-wise with your sibling? I'm, I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. Did you get treated similarly to them? <laughs> I did not. Were they boys or girls? Um, at the time, I had one brother and one sister, and my mom was pregnant with my youngest sister when I left. Mm-hmm. So um, was the boy the, uh, the middle child or the younger one? Um, he, my, well, my brother is the third out of four. So it was boy, girl, boy, girl. Okay. And so what, how, were you, how is it that you were treated different? What happened? What was different? Um, I just, you know... I was certainly spanked or whooped or whatever you want to call it. Um, there was, you know, physical um, discipline, uh, which from, I don't. From, from your stepdad? From my stepdad primarily. And what about, and so your stepdad, was he the disciplinarian? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, a lot of it was just kind of intangible. I mean, there were, you know, there were things that I could not do that, you know, in retrospect, you know, it feels like my younger siblings were able, you know, were able to have a little bit of a freer existence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on a, on a pretty tight leash. Mm-hmm. You don't feel like he really trusted you? I mean, I don't feel like, you know, my mom, I, I feel like my mom and my stepdad saw behaviors in me that they wanted to get Living. rid of. Uh-huh. And they thought by being like super tough, uh-huh. I mean, they would call it tough love, I guess. Um, I see it as something a little different, but I think maybe they thought they would, you know, kind of remove those behaviors by force. Uh huh. Ooh, that's not. That's not in. The, they don't recommend that in the parenting books. No, no, they don't. They definitely don't. <laughs> so you. Ha- so this must have been interesting because you had no um, father role really from right. a very from the very developmental important developmental years and then all of a sudden you had I'm gonna call him an asshole you think <laughs> that's a good thing to call him I, I'm, I'm okay with that okay so then you had an asshole yeah and your mom didn't stick up for you did she no no oh man that's horrible you know it is it is uh, I mean uh, if I was a parent I would not be proud of that Give me one example, because I wish we, because I wish we had about three hours to discuss this. But <laughs> give me one example of, um, you know, I'm imagining that you were probably like a really sweet by nature. I think you're, you know, a sweet, a genuinely kind person, thoughtful person, and your uh, 
you know, grandparents might have been, you know, cultivating that. And uh, I'm imagining that your mother being a military person. They were both military people. Yeah. They're not fun people. <laughs> Generally speaking, no. <laughs> and a military people and a sensitive male. Yeah. So give me an example of what happened there. Like one of the things. So one thing that a lot I've, I've mentioned to people in the past that they don't believe is I was not allowed to draw. That leaves me speechless. And this is a radio show. Not good. Not a good move, Mike. <laughs> I, I was not allowed to draw. So I would, I, I would draw like little pictures and hide them. And, you know, if I was in school or whatever, my mom would go through my room and find stuff and I'd get in trouble for it. Would she show your stepdad? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so upsetting to me. That is so upsetting hearing that. Oh my God. That is so, that is just so, that is so upsetting. Oh my God. Oh my God. That is horrible. I don't mean to like get, wow. I mean, um, you know, for me, drawing is everything. Right. Well, and, yeah. And a lot, I mean, I'm, I, I'm an art oriented person but i mean i think drawing i mean drawing is an important part of um you know therapy for children drawing so important because uh, yeah you know it's how children express themselves so that is awful um i believe you no yeah. i mean i believe you i get it i get yeah, it I mean, so and, and look, that was the attitude that was the yeah. attitude yeah i mean it's not to say that i was perfect but I think the the things that I did were sort of a reaction to the way that I was being treated mm -hmm. and not like a natural kind of like I don't think I was a naturally spiteful person I, I still don't think I'm a naturally spiteful person mm -hmm. um but you know I do react strongly to uh what I feel is mistreatment to this day so you you were sense you could tell you were being mistreated you oh yeah knew it. and you yeah. and also i mean there must have been a lot of anger because you had no way to you know not being able to be yourself and that's very frustrating and and um i can imagine you them uh developing a lot their treatment of you develop you know would just generate so much anger how could you right. do that? so uh how did you get out of there um, my aunt, uh, my youngest aunt and her husband came up to visit and I spent a couple of days and the way it's been told back to me is they couldn't put their finger on exactly what was going on, but they knew something was going on and that I was in an unhealthy place. Okay. Um, so they spoke to my grandmother and, uh, you know, said that they would, you know, they would take most of the control as far as raising me and taking care of me. And they basically sent for me. And I uh, came back to New York. Mm. Were you happy when you got back? Oh, I was fucking ecstatic. Were you mad at them for letting you go? A little bit, mm -hmm. a little bit. But I think I saw coming back to New York is kind of like, you know, it's like getting released from jail. Mm. Mm. And what was your relationship with your mom like after that? You know, I mean, we had a reasonably cordial relationship up and I probably up until I started therapy. Um, and kind of being able to talk to somebody about the things I went through and 
realizing how wrong a lot of it was uh-huh, kind of right. just you know put me in a space where I was like eh, something weird is going on here and I remember I e- or I didn't email I wrote my mom a letter just kind of asking you know why a lot of this stuff happened and um from that point on I mean that was in 2008 maybe that I wrote that letter mm-hmm. and we didn't speak for probably like 10 years you mean because you wrote her a letter I wrote her a letter and kind of called her out for a couple of things uh-huh was it an angry letter or? it was it was a very angry letter <laughs> okay and did she would did she refuse to talk to you or did you just not how 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 was think- the standoff I think she might have tried. I think she tried to reach out a couple of times and I just wasn't in a mood or in a place where I wanted to have that confrontational conversation. And I think it just kind of like tailed off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm imagining this must have had like a profound effect on your sense of being a dude. Um, yes. Um, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, it's had an effect on pretty much every aspect of my life. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, in terms of being a man and trying to figure out what a man is and then being a queer man and being a queer black man on top of all that, like it's definitely kind of fucked with a lot of the um, the preconceived notions of what that is and, how, you know, how I feel as those things. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, your stepdad sounds like a really bad or he sounds like he has some of the qualities he he sounds like a toxic man. He sounds like he used masculinity almost as a value and a weapon against you. I, I think in a way that was the case. I mean, I don't think he's the same now. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but I think back then, it was definitely like, this is how you be a man. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, he was like, afraid that you weren't manly enough. Or I think they were the- both, of, both afraid that I was not manly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was, you know, prior to that, I'd never been in a fight. Um, you know, <laughs> I was, I was, you know, into art and music. You would have and... done great in my Jew household. <laughs> they would have loved you. I'm telling you, never been in a fight. That's a great thing for a right. Jewish boy. But, you know, it, it, that wasn't what went down back then. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, I so I, see that. yeah. So how have you processed all this over the years? I mean, I don't know that I've completely processed it. I, mean, um, I think I just try to be a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Do you still I mean, feel angry at them? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's dissipated significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, you know, they're not people that I would choose to be in the same room with if I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. Do you you ever feel sorry for them? Yes, because who knows what trauma they went through. Um, Because I really, like, there's the old saying that hurt people hurt people. Yeah, right. Yeah, and I really think that 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 was the case. You know, I don't know what my mom's history was. I don't know what my stepdad's history was. Um, But I definitely feel like they were hurt. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I was you know, someone who was conveniently, you know, they were able to take, take that hurt out on to an extent. Mm-hmm. And I think they're still hurt. I, I don't, you know, <clears throat> I was very fortunate to discover therapy and, you know, kind of work on getting my shit together 
I don't know, you know, and maybe they had, maybe they haven't. I, I don't know whether they've actually had that experience as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I also think like, I mean, it's like your mom having a young kid at home and then signing up for the military. I mean, that's, that's like a pretty strong move. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't, I don't know the story behind that either. Right. That's an intense yeah. move. Yeah. So, uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Um, but, um, so that must have been, yeah. Um, so I'm thinking about how therapy must have been great. It probably validated. Was that the first time? What made you decide to deal with all your feelings? I think I'd just gotten to a point where I was like, you know, I'm however old I was at the time, 30 or 31. And I was like, okay, if life is going to get better, I need to get some of this shit figured out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew that therapists and therapy existed. But, you know, there were some financial uh, um, questions there. And also, you know, there's a huge societal stigma um, for men, for black men um, yeah. to, to see a therapist. Sure. And I had to kind of get over that stigma. Yeah, yeah. That must have been a bald move considering what we're, we were talking about with your upbringing. So yeah. I'm wondering, so was your regular, you know, being with, it sounds like you're, you're family your relationship sounds like you had like what you i'm imagining is people coming and going like you had like a tribe right yeah did yes. you have a good relationship with family members did you have a good <laughs> at, at, outside of that like with your grandparents and stuff you know it it really depends on the um on the family member i left home when i was 17 Oh, okay. Um, so I graduated high school. I I started college. I'd gotten a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And at a certain point, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I can live someplace with a couple of roommates and live my life. Mm -hmm. um, why don't I just do that? Um, so I have, I have good relationships with some of my relatives. Um, I have no relationship with a lot of my relatives. Mm -hmm. um, just because, I, I, you know, it's kind of in, it, there, there's an old school way of thinking that I'm just not in a, in a right. space where I'm involved with it. Right. You know? And you, even, yeah, most recently, you know, after this whole <clears throat> COVID-19 stuff started, we did a Zoom hangout with kind of the whole family. And, you know, one of my uncles cracked a homophobic joke. And, you know, after the Zoom was over, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm not doing one of these anymore. Yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, that's good that you're, you know, you, like, you took charge of your situation. It's very yeah. impressive. You're also a first generation, like you say. That, yeah. Right? So that probably has something to do with it, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So let's talk about, so I'm, I got the picture now. Like, I can see, okay, so there's so many reasons why it, it would be hard for you to have an intimate relationship. <laughs> You've got a full menu there. Yeah, so which, there's a lot of stuff. Which, which do you think it is? Which do you think it is? Um, I think some of it is just having never had, um, having not really had stability, and not kind of knowing what that looks like. Um, stability. Think, you seem to have stability in your own life. No. Now, um, uh, but it's been alone. I mean, I've lived completely by myself since two thousand five right and you've made like an impressive like you know an impressive life for yourself so it seems to me that you are good at making stability for yourself yeah is that true um, 
I think so. I okay, think so. but stability. So, so it's not that you don't have stability. You have stability. Just, right. Well, it's it's the family life thing. I think it's the other person that right. threatens the stability. stability. Right. You find other Absolutely. people threatening to your stability. You. Well, you're so right. <laughs> Um, I, so I think part of it is that, and I think part of it is just that I have really bad judgment when it comes to my dating life. Really? Why? Yeah. What do you, who do you wind up with? I, I end up with a lot of guys who are insecure, unsure of their sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of the biggest thing. Um, you know, you the last they're, person. They're not sure if they like guys or girls or something they're not ready to be open about liking guys. I mean, I think I've dated a lot of guys who were either, who were in the closet, whether they were bisexual or gay. Right, and I think right, there right, were right, you know, right. situations in which either or was the case, um, but they were not ready to be open and they were not ready to have like a relationship right. with someone who was open. Right, right, right. I could see that. I mean, I understand that. Yeah. So those are the kind of guys you're attracted to. Like, I don't set out to that. Yeah, that's your chemistry. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm generally not attracted to stereotypically gay men. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I mean, I think that, that that is also a challenge when it comes to relationships. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, you sure. know, yeah. If and I am also someone who doesn't really give off the signal. So, yeah, I think so, right? So if I'm giving, if I'm not giving off the signal and the people I'm attracted to aren't giving off the signal, then there's no signal. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. That's right. Um, did you know that you were gay? Like from a young age? I knew I was gay before I knew what sex was. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. Do you think maybe people, maybe, maybe like sometimes I think being gay for some people is biological. Do you think maybe your dad might have had conflicts? I mean, I do, what? I do. I think that. Um, oh, see, okay. I, your I dad read that and your stepdad. I mean, you don't know your dad, but yeah. biologically, he might have had conflicts. I mean, he might have been gay and repressed it because he was a black man and society that, and all that. that but that also, is, do you think your um, stepfather might have been gay? Or I don't. That I don't think so, although I do have another gay sibling. Interesting. A boy? A girl. A girl. Yeah, one of my sisters is gay. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, and, you know, I'm one of those people who thinks that everybody's at least a little bit queer. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Definitely. Um, so I kind of, you know, whenever someone says they're totally straight or, you know, to a lesser extent, totally gay, I'm kind of like, hey, yeah, sure. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the history is there. I mean, I certainly grew up in a homophobic household. Mm -hmm. um, there was no precedent for mm -hmm. a queer relative before I, you know, came out. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't even officially come out to any of my relatives until I was, again, in my late 20s, early 30s. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, there's a lot of conflict uh, there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I knew I was, I knew I was into other boys, I'd say probably around like five, five or six. Right, right, yeah. right. And I guess your mother did too. Maybe. And I, you know, I, I think 
it's weird because I think it was based on stuff that doesn't really determine, like, okay, I love music. You know, I love, you know, I loved art at the time. Like, those aren't necessarily indicators of someone's sexual orientation. I mean, there are plenty of straight people that love music and or art. No, um, of course. But yeah. you know how you look at somebody and you say, like, they seem gay, they don't seem yeah. gay. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can't put your finger on it, maybe. Yeah. And maybe yeah. your, your mom and your stepfather felt that way, but they couldn't yeah. put their finger on it. But they're like, this guy's, this guy's going to be gay. His kids yeah. are gay. Yeah. And it made them really uncomfortable because, yeah, it made them really uncomfortable. Uh, so how, do, like, that's a lot of really negative messaging about being gay. And I'm sorry you had to deal with that. How do you, yeah. How do you feel about being gay now? Like, like I know, you know, intellectually, of course, you're fine with it and all that. But do you ever, is there part of you that's like, that like wonders if you're being, are you, do you have consciousness about being judged at all? Um, not really, not anymore. And I had it for a really, really long time. It's you really did, only, Yeah, in the last couple of years that I've been like, fuck it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have no, you know, at this point, no hangups about my sexuality. I, I am who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but it took a really, really long time to get there. And I'm envious of people in their teens, in their 20s, who mm-hmm. are so, like, secure in their mm-hmm. sexuality. Right. Um, right. You know, and, it's, and it's also different for someone, again, going back to being able to pass. Um, it's different for someone who doesn't necessarily throw off the signals. Like, you know, if you're, you know, a flamboyant uh, kind of big personality person, people are probably going to assume that you're gay from the time you start exhibiting those characteristics. Right, right. Whereas if you're more, you know, low key or- Subtle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people may question it or wonder, but they don't have their finger necessarily on it until you tell them. Mm Um, so I, again, like people who come out as gay or bisexual, um, which I think for a lot of people is kind of harder, um, because you can kind of hide in heteronormativity, um, at younger ages, you know, I know people Mm -hmm. who are in, you know, I know people who are in heterosexual, heteronormative primary relationships that still identify as bisexual, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is fantastic. Um, but you know, it's a different generation. Um, there's a lot more support in place. There isn't AIDS, um, like as an automatic death sentence hanging around now, like it did when I was a kid. Um, so that stigma's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, it's a different time. Yes. So there's two things. I'm so upset that we only have five minutes left. So <laughs> I, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking um, why you don't have long-term relationships. There's two things that I'm thinking about. One is the fact that um, you're gay, but also because being gay has been disparaged, unfortunately for you, uh, that having a gay, uh, like maybe you're not that, you're just not that, your chemistry with another gay, you know, really gay man uh, might not be your, choice because it's really interesting as a gay man and another you have another like 
when I'm with my husband, it's clearly not me. I don't think like my husband has weird feminine qualities or like, I don't think like he shouldn't be, but as a gay man, you're confronted with your sexuality that way. And, you know, it's reflected back to you. The other thing I was thinking about was that, that I'm wondering about is if it's just really uncomfortable for you to have another person in your presence all the time. How's that? I, I actually, with that last point in particular, I would agree. I, <laughs> I've said before, kind of half jokingly, that if I'm ever in a relationship, we should be in apartments next door to one another. Really? What happens yeah. when, some, when you're around another person for a long time? I don't you know, like, like having my space invaded for that long. Do you, do you, do you get irritable? I, I would imagine, I mean, it's been so long since I've been in that situation. Mm -hmm. I do feel like I would, I, I would certainly feel like the wall's closing in. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, but what, what, what do you, what, you know what? I so identify with you on that. So <laughs> I can't say anything, but I, to, I, I totally, you're right. <laughs> no, but I mean, what, what is it? Is it like, for me, I'm afraid I was criticized a lot. So I imagine that person's criticizing me. Do you feel like they're invasive? What, it, what, what, can you put your finger on why that is? Are they invasive? You want to do what you want to do. You feel like they're watching you. I, I want to have my own life. Like I want to, I want to have a partner. Right. But I don't want to be sucked into the whole, like, I still want to be Mike. Like, I don't want to be Mike and blah, blah, blah. Um, and what I've seen from a lot of the married, a lot of, not just married, a lot of the couples I know is that they sort of, they don't become two individuals, like kind of in a partnership, continuing their lives mm -hmm. as a couple and as individuals, they become one thing. It's like Ben Affleck mm -hmm. and Jennifer Lopez becoming Jennifer. It's, it's, you know, it's. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I personally don't, I mean, I understand that. But I'm gonna say that I think that you're anticipating that and you're looking for that. And I do think at this point in your life that you could own, you, you know, you, you are who you, you know yourself and you can own that. And that, that doesn't necessarily have to happen if you can put your own boundaries up. Are you good at telling people, no, I don't want to go there? Or do you, are you a people pleaser? I am a people pleaser. That's I'm bad. getting, I'm getting less and less people pleasy the older I get. Yeah. See, I'm, that's why. Yeah. That's I'm, yeah. I'm in a space now where I feel kind of comfortable putting my foot down if I don't want to do something. But you know, it's not about putting your foot down. It's about like, do you want to, I want to eat, you know, uh, sushi for dinner. And then you're like, well, okay, we'll eat sushi for dinner. But it's just like, no, I don't really feel like eating that. Right. You know, it, I mean, I feel like I get the sense. We got one minute. There's a little bit of <laughs> defensiveness. You're afraid that people are, you're looking for people. And I understand it, looking for people to make demands on you and, and stuff like that. But I don't, I think you own your own space. So you don't need to do that. So uh we i think i think we could continue this for well i think we should yeah we have to do a sequel 
I'd do a sequel to this, but uh, for now, I've got to say to everybody, thanks so much for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we will see you soon. Oh my God, I lost track of the time. I was <laughs> watching the wrong thing. Wait a second. Oh my God. I'm going to just stop this. I fucked this up. It's easy for me to relinquish control of something like my life mm -hmm. to at least partially to somebody else. Like it's, yeah. it would be hard for me to trust somebody to pay half the rent. So you're a control freak. Um, but that doesn't, but do you see how I'm saying that I think you're anxious because we're talking about dating somebody and you immediately go like, they're not going to pay the rent. Right, right. So what um, happens on a date? What happens on a date where you start feeling ang like anxious? I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm usually wondering if I'm going to, if I'm being judged somehow by my looks or the way I talk or it could be any of a million things. But you also are afraid that people aren't going to come through with you, that they're not reliable? Well, I mean, I think I'm, there's definitely a chance, and I've experienced this many times, where somebody's like, oh, you're interesting, you're cool, I like you, and then there's not a second date. Hmm. And you don't, you don't know why. That's well, happened. Yeah, that people... Happens. People are not going to volunteer that information usually. So no, 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 but you haven't. So you feel like a lot of times you don't get past the second date. I, a lot of times I don't get past the first date. <laughs> well, it's hard. Uh, well, I also, you know, I'm wondering if you're, you're also like picking out people that are ambivalent about being gay, I think. Right. 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 So that, that's part of it too. I, I think it is. So have you, you know, I think a lot of uh, I think a lot of us have this issue where we, um, you know, um, think that um, where we need to, and I say this to women a lot because they're like, I don't like guys that like do this or that, and I'm like, well, or the guys that float my boat aren't aren't nice guys. Well, then right. you then you have to consciously go out with guys that you might not initially be attracted to and try to get to know them and give them a chance. And a lot of it is just hardcore discipline. You know, make yourself date people you're not necessarily the first attracted, you know, you're not necessarily attracted to right. immediately. Have you thought about that? I have definitely thought about that. And have you taken, have you done anything with that? It's a struggle. I haven't really done anything with that yet. I mean, I have not, I mean, I've been on one date in all of 2020. Um, okay. Actually, that's, that's not true. I would love to um, see if you could go on a date with somebody and keep a really open mind and not have them expect anything from you and you not expect anything from them and where they may, may be a little gayer than you normally go for and then talk about it on the air. Sure. Yeah. Do you think sure. we could try that? Okay. Yeah. Let's, let, let's stay in touch and then we will we'll see if we can do that. Okay, I'm cool okay. with that. Thanks, Mike. I really enjoyed oh, talking. Thank you, Lisa. You. Absolutely. You're you're a great client. Thank you. All right. <laughs> See you soon. Let's do this again. Thanks. Bye. Hi. Dr. Lisa gets shit.